information provided in this podcast episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is in no way a replacement for a therapeutic relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hello, family. Welcome to another episode of the Minding My Black Business podcast. And it is I, Dr. Janae Taylor, your host, Nene, Dr. T, that's me. I had the wonderful opportunity to have such a fun and dope conversation with three brilliant women. Dr. Kimber Shelton, Dr. Mahale Ndale, Dr. Michelle Lynn. So not only are these women just brilliant and the editors and authors of a new book on the Handbook of Counseling Black Women, but they are my classmates. (laughs) They are my friends. They knew me when, when I was at the University of Georgia in in graduate school. And we could surely tell some stories. Now, we don't necessarily in this episode, but what you get to listen in on is an impromptu family reunion. I can't wait for you to hear this episode, hear all the wonderful things they're doing. We talk about what it means to be black women in the field, what it means to be doing this work, how we can best be helped by others and what we hope for in the future. I just know you're gonna enjoy it in the same way I did. Take a listen. Welcome to Minding My Black Business. So, family, I am so honored to have this group of guests here on the podcast today. I will allow them a moment to introduce themselves. And then I am going to share why I'm so excited um, to have them all here. I almost can't contain my own excitement as I'm talking now. But (laughs) uh, this isn't about me today. Uh, (laughs) This is about the guests that I have before me. So we have before us Dr. Kemper Shelton, Dr. Michelle Lynn, Dr. Mahale Ndale. Thank you so much for all being on the show. I so appreciate you all being here. And if you could, whoever wants to start, if you could give us a a quick bio as to who you all are. Thank you for having us on here. We so appreciate being here and uh, for you hosting us. So thank you, Janae. I'm Dr. Kimber Shelton. I'm a licensed counseling psychologist in Dallas, Texas. And I am one of the co-editors to the recent release, uh, number one uh, <laughs> new release in multiple categories on Amazon, a handbook on counseling African-American women. So super proud of that work and glad to be able to share that work here today. Outside of writing, then I work with a predominantly African-American community, mostly Black women who are coming in and they are wanting their lives to be um, improved. They want to live and thrive in their life. So doing some excellent work with the Black women that I serve. Um, I'm Dr. Michelle Lynn, um, also a licensed counseling psychologist. Um, I'm located in Atlanta. Um, I have a private practice, and in addition to my private practice and doing consultation work, um, I am also the director of the counseling center at Oglethorpe University. 
Um, so across my various hats, um, I'm very excited to be a, a part of this this team. I'm also a, a co-editor of a handbook on counseling African American women, um, and just in my work with um, women, uh, black women, women of color, um, have just been just richly um, blessed and uh, very ex excited in, in the ways that I've learned from my clients and in the ways that I've been able to, to serve my clients. I'm very happy to be part of the podcast today. And my name is Dr. Mahalad Mdala. I'm a licensed counseling psychologist um, as well. I am based out of uh, Georgia, but I'm licensed in Georgia and Florida. And, and right now I'm still t entirely telehealth. So see clients here in Georgia as well as Florida, as well as um, sometimes people find me in different countries um, and reach out. And when licensure laws allow, I've been able to do some international work as well. And that's been really cool. Um, majority of my caseload is uh, made up of black identified women um, who are of many nationalities um, uh, and doing a lot of just powerful, meaningful work around identity, um, creating space for ourselves in our world. Um, really about, it's a lot of work around how to make space for all of me. So, because that's where I feel like fullness and happiness comes from, uh, being able to have spaces that you can show up as your full self. Fantastic. Thank you all for that brilliant introduction. I don't even, I won't even have to record one. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> so let me explain why this is so exciting for me. This kind of feels like a reunion, uh, which is, which is yeah. uh, exciting. And um, I'll explain to the listeners what I mean by that. <laughs> so these three women uh, were a very huge part of my uh, graduate studies. And um, we all have the tie of University of Georgia Department of Counseling at a whole hall, fourth floor, uh, <laughs> in common. Um, and I don't know if uh, Mahalet and Kimber, I don't know if you know, but Michelle was actually uh, the impetus for me applying to the University of Georgia. So had it not been for her, we would have not met. Um, I was, uh, I don't even know what I was doing, but I was a part of her internship site, buzzing around, getting in the way. And <laughs> <laughs> I was an undergrad and I just watched her. I just watched her do her thing. She was on internship, handling her business. And here I am just, just following her around. So I was at the front desk sometimes. Sometimes I'd be in her supervisor's office. Literally when I was all over the place, I was all over the place. But um, I was just so enthralled by the work that she did. And I would ask her questions, like kind of get an idea of like, what are you doing and where are you? And, and she told me about the program and I applied and yeah. And it was during my time there, <laughs> Mahalet and I stuck it through. The master program. <laughs> the yes. We are sisters in arms. We truly have mm -hmm. our edges. And along the way, Kimber was there. Um, and and also a part of that whole like research experience and all sort of things. So truly you all were a part of my formative years and knew me before the doctor. And 
that was a time. Uh, so, <laughs> so I appreciate you all being here um, because truly you are out doing wonderful, beautiful things. And whatever I can do to continue to support you, I will I will do all of those things. So, um, so when I say it's a treat, I am not playing that these, mm-hmm. these women um, are phenomenal. So if you don't know them, then you need to know them. <laughs> so... Um, you know, we have just gotten out of uh, Mental Health Awareness Month um, in May. And one of the things that I like to do both in May and in July, July being Minority Mental Health Awareness Month, is to make it a point to check on the Black mental health professionals in my life. Um, so although this is a, a month or months for awareness where we're supposed to, you know, highlight all the things that people need, try to get them connected to services for me, it the people doing the work sometimes don't get the, the space. Um, so I see that as my mission during those things. So I'm going to let this kind of spill over. I know we're in June, but I want to check in. How are you all doing? You all have, have listed your, you have briefly listed what you're doing. Actually, what you're doing is a lot more than what you said, but um, you're managing a lot and um, all while serving others. I mean, to write a book about um, counseling Black women um, shows where your heart heart for service lies. So how would you say you're doing in, in balancing your personal and professional roles? I can start. Um, it, it's an ongoing struggle, you know, um, but a, a welcome one in the sense that when you do this work as a mental health clinician, um, I think you... Well, I learned, let me, let me use I statements. I learned early on um, that it is personally taxing and that because that is the case, I have to have um, work to have good boundaries. I don't always accomplish that, but I have to keep my eye on that target um, and also be aware of what restores me. Um, and so, and who restores me? I, you know, I should say that. Um, as well. And so I, I just have been very intentional about um, if I'm not able to accomplish all three of those things, good boundaries, restoration, and being around those good people that restore me, at least find one or the other or a combination as much as possible. Um, so, you know, I, I would say it's an ongoing target for me. Um, and, you know, there's just been a lot of things happening in our world today, you know, so if I just think about what's going on in my household, which is a lot, <laughs> and then what's going on in the outside world, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot going on. Um, this, it's in this past two weeks, you know, it's been, uh, the, the mass shootings, um, the Buffalo in particular, well, all of them really not even, I can't even single them out, but they, they all have an impact. Um, so just very intentional about trying to figure out that, that balance. And so if I don't get to do one thing that I know restores me, make sure I do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there is certainly uh, power in finding your people. And so, um, I appreciate you saying that and that if you can't do them all, at least getting something done, um, can help in some way. It's, you know, as, as Michelle has said, there is a lot that happens and a lot ongoing, um, a lot of things that we're constantly navigating at personally, 
you know, on top of trying to make sure we're showing up well and present for, you know, for the clients that we serve. Um, and I think there is a piece around, um, I'm learning the power of saying no. Um, that's one thing that's an ongoing, um, lesson that I'm learning and relearning (laughs) again and again. Um, and that there are seasons where it's okay to set limits to what you take on. Um, that there are times where I think I, I struggle sometimes with a sense of, um, what's the word obligation, I think to people around me and whether it's that one client, you know, where the things that they share that they want to work on, not the client, a prospective client, right? And you know what a, what amazing, beautiful work that would be. But if you add one more person to your caseload, you know, is that really realistic and feasible and, and manageable? Um, it's it's then might I have a kindergartner and there are all these opportunities to get involved in his school. And as much as I would love to, it's how much do I actually take that on? And Um, Other times it's my house looks like a disaster, you know, and it's just, it's going to be like that for a couple days, let it go and just look past it until there's bandwidth, you know, to navigate it and and not feel, you know, I have um, type A cleaning, you know, what people would do as uh, spring cleaning in their home was a weekly thing growing up with my mom. Get up Saturday morning. Yep. Saturday. Turn the music on and get to That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. it. You know, and so I'll take care of it before mom comes. But, you know, she's not coming. It's like, it's not so pretty. But I stay sane and well. And I can show up for, you know, the people I love and can take care of. Yeah, I would definitely say ditto to what Michelle and Mahalat are speaking to. I think, too, about the handbook that we wrote. So the majority of chapters are written by Black women who are mental health professionals. So they're serving clients. And this was also during a time of COVID. This was during a time where we're seeing um, this ongoing social injustice with black and brown people. So having to do the work, write about the work, and then also take care of ourselves is very challenging in in multiple ways. Um, And again, along the lines of what Mahala and Michelle are saying is finding that balance. And fortunately, I really enjoy my work. Michelle said blessed. I feel blessed in the work that I'm able to do. So there is something that is personally satisfying about doing therapy and seeing people heal and grow and to be a part of that experience. And for my clients to come in and they have such resiliency and they have such strength that we can absorb the traumas of our clients, but we can also absorb the resiliency, the healing, the growth from them. So being able to hold on that is really important for me too, of being able to witness and support people through their healing actually can be very healing and therapeutic for me. And there's oftentimes when I'm speaking to my clients, where I'm like, okay, I need to remember this for myself. Or they say something, I'm like, oh, let me hold on to this for me too. Um, finding those glimmers or those moments in therapy is very important. Um, and then I just want to say in terms of that community, something I appreciate about our team of co-editors here is there's been throughout this entire process so much honesty and transparency and vulnerability 
So when any of us are struggling, we're able to express that and then it's been with support and care and empathy. And that's just been so helpful in this process too, of knowing that I can show up and just be, and that that be okay. And I don't have to be at a hundred percent. And whatever I have to contribute is welcomed and appreciated. So these relationships and then my other relationships that allow me to be, have helped get me through uh, this journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm marinating on what y'all said. It was wonderful. <laughs> so, you know, Kim, I was thinking about something you just said about kind of sitting with what our clients um, will sometimes say in response to us um, in our work. And I had a client tell me, this spring, I can't remember when. Time is weird now. Um, it was either a month ago or six months ago. I, I don't, I don't remember. But <laughs> she said some version of like, black women will save the world. Now, when she said, I was like, mm-hmm. but then I, it's still been like, it just keeps coming back to me, and it feels both like a profound compliment, the truth. And like, I don't want to say the word. <laughs> like too much responsibility. And I don't know what to do with any of that. Um, but I have found kind of much like what you all are saying is that when I'm, I'm at a point when I need something and sometimes I don't even know what I need. If I find myself in the company of black women that I can kind of get back on course in, in some way. And so in that vein, and talking about black women and talking about maybe the heaviness that, that they're walking around with and that you all have been, you know, in your own talks and in your own travels as you're talking about your book um, and counseling black women, what, what do you think might hold? Because I'm sure that sentiment holds true for a lot of people and that they might feel the heavy burden of um, being the one who steps up, shows up, ready to do the work. And that's wonderful, but that also, there's a price to that. And sometimes it means our own mental health um, as a result. So what do you think might hold Black women back from attending to their own mental health or even emotional emotional wellness? What might get in our own way? Yeah, definitely all those things that you mentioned. So I don't think that it started with us. It started outside of us. But this idea of the strong black woman or that superwoman um, idea was developed as a coping mechanism for dealing with everyday ongoing traumas and having to be strong and having to be together. And so then we adopted this um these schemas from the collective traumas that we experience. And we see Black women today enjoying higher incomes, greater uh, educational attainment. Um, Just the projection of Black women looks amazing because we have been these strong Black women and uh, these super women. But there's been that toll of where is there space for me to be vulnerable? Where is there space for me to be weak? Where can my imperfections show up? And then we've internalized that too. So now there's just not space for us to simply be. 
and um, you know, black women are magical and black women are, are unicorns. And I've described myself as removing that horn and just, I just want to be a pony or, or be a horse. I don't want to be a unicorn or to have the option. I can put it on or take it off when I want to, that it hurts us to feel like we have to be always perfect or always on. Um, but we didn't, this wasn't created for us. I mean, I think it's true. We did have to do 110% to get to where we were going to be. And we could not let people see us weak. And to show up mediocre means then you don't get that position or that job or get entrance into that. And now I'm being able to uh, resist that, to fight back against that, to these external ideas that say we always have to be on, where other people can be mediocre, we have to be perfect, to call that out and to pay attention to it. That this is done collectively too. So that collectively, Black women, we have these traumas, we have these hardships together, and then collectively our healing can be done together too. So Black women being able to support other Black women of being able to be vulnerable and to be transparent and to be authentic. Just a, sorry, a, a short um, story. So Mahalat and Michelle and I, we all work together at a counseling center. And there was one coworker that we had who was extremely problematic, who was racist, sexist, oppressive, homophobic, hetero, all those isms. Oh, hit all of them, huh? Superstar. All of them. Okay. And oppression. Okay. <laughs> all those things he embodied, and we had to deal with that every single day. And now I think, why did I not go to HR? I could have some money right now. But um, in that those moments, there was a time when well, we all took turns speaking up, but there was one particular time when Mahalat shared and challenged him in a way that I'm sure he had not been challenged before. And it made me think of that quote, even if your voice is trembling, you still speak. And for Mahalat to do that and to be able to bear witness to that, but then also to support her with that. So I think a way that we come out of that strong black woman or that superwoman schema is we still have to still have to be present and we still have to do our work, but we're not doing that work alone and we're not doing that work in isolation and we're working to change the way black women are looked at all together um, versus putting individual people in those spots to do that work. And, they are- and, and to just um, kind of speak to that point, the point, the you know, before I got to the point where I did challenge this person, I had um, requested uh, support from, you know, other coworkers and kind of checked in with how other people are experiencing this person. I had offered to, I organized a group of women to sit with our director and have a conversation with him about how we were impacted by this person. And there were all these attempts that were made um, to try and just get some sort of support around this. And it, it just wasn't coming in from, you know, the kind of up, top down um, the way we needed it, you know? Um, and to be honest, it was mostly the black women in the, in the, in the work environment that supported me that before and after having, you know, p- putting this out there and afterwards kind of freaking out a little bit of like, ah, what did I just do? <laughs> you know? Um, but really nobody stepped up to say, we got you. You know, we're here. We see you. Like, 
um, yeah, other than really mostly black women in the, in the office. And that helped me feel a little bit safer and more secure. But to your point, even there, Mahala, what you were saying earlier, Janae, black women will uh, save the world. Would well, have been nice for some of our white allies to have spoken up too, for it not to be that weight being placed on the people who were literally the youngest and had the most intersecting identities. So uh, systemically had the least amount of power doing the majority of that work. Very true. It was in thinking about the, the, I guess the, um, I guess the dichotomy of the strong black woman and how you, 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 you take that pain because that's what you're experiencing when you're, when you are oppressed, when you, when you're getting beat down like that, it hurts. And so it's like you, you take that pain and, and convert it into this power. And, um, and I, 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 I think we all, you know, we've had opportunity to process that time at different points, but I definitely saw myself sitting right there. Um, and I, you know, was like, yeah, it's like this power that she was, you know, that was coming out of her was coming out of me. And it was like, it was, it was it, at that point it was unstoppable. It's like, okay, this is, this has been unleashed and this is where we're, this is where we are. Um, but it, it, I, I love what, 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 both Kimber Mahalat and Janae, what you all have shared, but Kimber, that piece that you said about not having to do it alone. Um, it's, it's like, it's so amazing how that works. Just you, you might be in your space by yourself. You might be the only one, but as soon as you come around others, it's like a, a, a tuning fork, you know, it's like you get back on pitch. Um, and, and, and even sometimes without even saying a word, it's just a look or, uh, you know, a glance or a head nod and you're like, okay, all right, that, that was hard. That felt terrible, but I'm going to be okay. When you have that, you know, that collective support is, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's really, truly amazing. Y'all I'm having flashbacks of, <laughs> of school. Um, and so, <laughs> But it's even though I was not, I was not there with y'all in the council center. But I feel like I was. Uh, so <laughs> there were certainly these moments there too. Um, and and yeah, I appreciate the way that you said that. So if we, you know, let's like kind of dig this down even further. So if we're talking about black women um, embracing support, embracing help taking off the cape, taking off the, removing the, detaching the horn from the, <laughs> the edge uh, in, in terms of being a unicorn. If we add on to that, the layer of, of being entrepreneurs, um, what, what I have found on, in my work in, in working with black entrepreneurs, my goal is for us to have these conversations around mental health, first of all. But secondly, trying to get them to slow down long enough to like absorb what I'm saying. <laughs> and that my goal is not to work with you so that you can make more money. My goal is that both you and your business are healthy. You, you are not sacrificing your own life for the sake of your business. And so ultimately that will lead to a more profitable, more profitable business. It won't happen tomorrow. It's a process. And so, 
I think for me that adds an extra like heaviness of trying to get black entrepreneurs, particularly black women entrepreneurs, to see the value in um, and even getting a, a, a barometer of where they are in their own emotional wellness and how they're dealing with the stress, the anxiety, the isolation, the um, strain, financial strain, the strain on our relationships. I mean, it just kind of uh, building a business is the quickest way to find out what your weaknesses are. <laughs> it will highlight them immediately. Um, and so I learned I am not a good administrative assistant. I am terrible at details. So, but I can see big picture. I got you on big picture. But anyway, that's a little, that's a little, little testimony. But anyway, so what, from your perspective, in thinking about these Black women who also might be running businesses, and this is, uh, wh what do you think, me, what do you think I might be missing in the messaging to these entrepreneurs, Black entrepreneurs particularly? And I'm focusing on them because just like in other spaces, there are certain sacrifices and certain ways you have to show up when you're on a business um, if you uh, are a Black person um, that are solely connected to that identity. What do you think might be missing in terms of trying to get them to slow down or focus on their emotional wellness? What do you think they need to hear? Yeah. I think we can connect it back to those ideas about vulnerability or weakness and what you were saying that owning your own business will bring up all your weaknesses, which can then hyperactivate that strong black woman or that superwoman schema, I think it's important to take a step back and to recognize what your business and your personal and your mental health needs are to actually be very considerate about what I need in all these spaces. And then building a community of places to be able to go to ask for those needs to be met or to be serviced, which could be having to pay for it too. And I know if I could go back in time, I would have put more money up front into my business because I was paying a cost for not doing, for not setting it up that way in the beginning. So to recognize what my business needs were and then find the appropriate places to get those needs met. And along this journey, too, so this related to that superwoman schema of when people offer help, when someone asks me, how can I help you? I literally get a visual reaction of, no, you cannot help me, or I don't want help, or I need to control this. Like, my body tenses up. And I'd be like, oh, wait a minute. Relax your shoulders. Take a breath. Because someone is asking me, do I need help with something? They are not suggesting that I am in incompetent or unable to do this uh, and to actually receive the help. There's a saying in my family because lots of people struggle with receiving help is take the help, take the help. So to be able to take the help when it's being offered, um, and there's a double-edged sword with that because I think within our own community, sometimes we can be, we can be the most supportive, but we can also be detrimental too that, you know, social media and somebody puts their product up and they might get some likes, but other people, they can get a lot of hate. Yeah. So it's also knowing who to listen to and what voices are the most important for you to listen to and then your growth 
Um, but to slow down and really do a needs assessment of what you need, developing comfort and being able to ask for needs to be met and seek those needs to be met, as well as when people are offering help or assistance or guidance, being able to take that. Um, and just another quick thing that has been important for me is to surround myself with people who are already doing some of the things that I want to be doing, that they can be a model or a mentor for me. Um, and oftentimes the lessons that they're teaching is that it was not overnight, it was through perseverance. That it will come, it's just going to take time for it to come and to set it up right so it comes in the way that we want it to develop. The, the concept of time, Kimber, it's interesting you ended there because that was that is what was coming up for me. Um, time and timing. Um, you know, I think about just as 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 black people, you know, I guess uh, the historically us, us having generational wealth maybe more limited. So we, you know, to, to start a build, a, 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 um, a business from the ground up with limited backing and resources and, you know, kind of having to do all that ourselves. I, I think we give ourselves permission that it may take longer. Um, and that the timing that, that we think is ideal or want to be ideal just may not be possible, especially if we're going to, um, you know, protect ourselves against all of those mental health and physical health risks that we're more susceptible to, right? Um, also, you know, a, a, an ongoing generational concern in our community. So like, if it takes us longer to get there, that, that somehow learning to be okay with that. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share this, you know, I've, I've been in and out of counseling centers in out and then back in. Um, and, you know, just, just timing of that, even how I had to sort of come to terms with, um, you know, am, am I abandoning my business or my, my practice to take this, this new position? And if so, what does that mean for my identity as an entrepreneur? Did I fail or, you know, just kind of dealing with, with some of that uh, self-talk. And, and I, I had a, a therapist who was so helpful, Black woman, who told me, see, uh, you know, to think about seasons of your life. Um, and that's another way of saying timing and how important that is. Um, so I, I would just say that for, for business owners, um, you know, I know it's not saying like to, like you have to put food on the table. And so it's not saying, you know, that's, I mean, not, not, minimizing that by any means, but just thinking about time and timing and being flexible, I think is, I think as, as African descended people, we're pretty good about being flexible with time. Um, so I think that also fits in this realm as well. There are um, a couple of things that come to mind for me. The, the first piece is um, if my journey into private practice and, and entrepreneurship um, is you know, if there's any pattern to that for any, you know, for other black women. One thing that I noticed for me, it was, it wasn't that I was running towards entrepreneurship. I had no plans to be in private practice. I had no, but what was happening was not working. I was physically, emotionally burnt out. And I had to, for my own health, figure out something else. And I think, and, and there are, you know, black women who have taken the route of going towards entrepreneurship that I've worked with 
where that's the journey. It's not necessarily that this was kind of intent or the dream or the goal, but systems that they were in, even when they were doing professionally really well, were not good for them, were not healthy for them. And they had these ideas of creating spaces that would promote wellness, that would promote um, balance. Um, and so I think one piece that that is important to name when that kind of transition is happening is are people making room to recover, right? So it's very easy. I got so much feedback and so much um, quote unquote guidance for people who are really taught, telling me to like gun it, go hard, push. This is what you have to do. Otherwise you're not going to make any money. Your, your business is going to fail. And I literally was running on fumes and that was not my reality. And that was not possible for me. And I could have allowed anxiety to, um, try, you, you know, force me to try and heed that advice. And that would only have resulted in more problems in the long run. Um, but it's really, is there, it's really important, I think, to connect with self during that period of transition to really assess and take time to think about what is it that you're needing. And, you know, Michelle, like you were saying, um, I really do believe that life functions in seasons and you're not making forever decisions at this point when you're transitioning into this. And so for this first season in entrepreneurship, what would serve you to maximize your wellness, your ability to really build a solid foundation for something that, that fits who you are and where you might be going. Um, and it's okay. That's, I think that's the piece. It's okay to take time to really think through that and slowly build that. Um, so that, that's one piece of it. Um, and in that also, if really, really, really putting in place everything you need to take care of yourself um, and to come back to yourself um, before really running with all cylinders. Um, and then the second piece that came to mind for me is uh, the last institution that I hired that I was in, the, we worked really closely with the Office of Health Promotion. And they had done a study with students, and I can't remember the details of it, but there was some sort of piece that came out of that students had this perception that there is really no way to balance academic success, physical wellness, and kind of having a, a life, essentially, right? And so you have to give up one or the other and really focus on one at a time, but there is this false narrative that it's not possible to have all three together. And I think we live that in, in the professional world, too, that there's a sense of unless I'm going a 100 and, for example, if I'm building a business and that, it's going to fail, um, you know, <laughs> lots of stories about people who gun hard. I'm like, I'm going through the season. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. every day and work out. That's only I'm going to lose weight and, and do this and do that. And ahead of this trip, but then three weeks in, you're not doing it anymore. Um, just this idea of balance and wellness. It's actually this narrative of um, it's not feasible to balance things out. That's, a, that's just, it's just false. It's not real. Um, and so just, yeah, yeah, it's not real. So don't, don't, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you can have balance. It is possible. And I think it does skew a little bit, I think in different seasons, but it's really important to be mindful of how much it's skewing in one direction or another, the different, you know, different points. Absolutely. It is possible. It is possible. So if, if it wasn't clear that these three women are therapists, <laughs> 
It is certainly clear now. Um, and I imagine you want to sit on that couch right now, like I do. Um, so, <laughs> no, I think I think what you said, what you all have said, has been so spot on. And we typically don't come from um, family histories of generational wealth, or even family histories of there being other entrepreneurs. Um, and so, truly, we are like building a bridge as we walk across it. And I think in a time of COVID, we've been watching people build businesses in a very, I don't know how to say this nice way. Um, <laughs> we've been watching people build businesses like in a, under a microscope, but we also are only seeing that through the lens of social media, meaning they are only showing us what they want us to see, which may or may not be accurate actually. And so I think for those business owners also feel that like competition of, oh no, this person is doing all these things and I also need to do these things too. Um, my voice needs to be louder than theirs. And I think that kind of leads to some of that overperformance um, in, in those ways. Um, and the pressure of keeping the lights on, like you all have said. So <laughs> it's all real. It is all real. You know, I think because of the nature of who you all are and what we're talking about, that there will more more than likely be some folks who are either in grad school um, right now in these counseling programs or about to sign up for a counseling program. They might be typing in the application as we speak. And I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. <laughs> Think all the way back. I'm just going to take you for a quick moment. All the way back <laughs> to grad school, given where you are now, and what sort of advice might you give Black women who are in these programs, Black folks who are in these programs um, to survive? Like, I'm thinking about those who might be, like, just finishing up that second year of the doc program, it was rough. Hang in there. We got you. Um, but <laughs> what sort of advice might you give these folks who are deciding to enter into the field of mental health and get their master's or doctorate um, to kind of help them sustain? Y'all can't see this, but they're giving me eyes. And I understand. It's a, it's a big question. Mm -hmm. And they're probably thinking about what we was doing back at UGI. But I, I can start and I may have other thoughts that come up. Um, but I, I, you know, there, I, I think there's a lot of value in embracing the idea of, uh, getting therapeutic support for yourself while you're in graduate school, um, for lots of reasons. And, 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 I, and, and so I understand for, for black women, you know, there's some push pull there, you know, with, with the strong black woman concept and, uh, maybe even limited um, options. If you want to have a black therapist, you know, if you, where you're located and the options may be limited, um, you know, so it, it may not be as easy to accomplish, maybe more so now with telehealth options, um, you know, that, that we've all talked about how we offer telehealth services. So that's, that's optimistic, optimistic, but I would say find a therapist, um, find good support, you know, like I think 
every step of the way, I, I, I have been a part of a, um, if it wasn't a formal cohort, it was an informal group of other Black um, graduate and professional students, Black women graduate and professional students. And, you know, we were just going through it. And we would get together, be there for each other, uh, cook, eat, <laughs> uh, you know, nourish our bodies. Um, and so I think I would say that find a therapist, find a group, a support group where you can bring your full self, as you know, my colleagues have mentioned, just where you can show up fully and authentically as yourself. Yeah, I think it's a very common story hearing about many of the struggles that people of color have in graduate school and that those struggles are real and true and that they bring us in, but don't necessarily have the resources or often sometimes the desire to support us in our journeys. Um, I had a great graduate experience. I know that's not the story of everyone and not even everyone within my program. Um, but I enjoyed my time in graduate school. Uh, and I think part of the reason for that is I was assigned just an advisor when I got there and Mealy felt like, oh, this is not going to be necessarily an advisor for me for multiple reasons. One, including our research interests did not match. And uh, so I switched to an advisor where our identities and our values and our research was much more aligned. And I really think that that relationship changed the trajectory of what my graduate experience would be because I had an ally, a supporter. And today I have a friend, Dr. Delgado Romero, just like literally changed my graduate experience, my graduate school experience. It felt so supportive, supported, felt so safe. Um, was able to have real, true, and authentic relationships. And this is a person who is empowered. So I also had that too. Um, I'm sure he faced many of the issues that professors of color experience where then all of the people of color are wanting to work with them, but he, he managed to handle that. Um, so that was really helpful for me, having an ally who was truly an ally and was there to support, for, support me, advocate for me, and our research was aligned. And then also my cohort, there was a total of four Black women in my cohort, so it really felt like the work got distributed. It was not just one person doing the work. And although we're um, very different, um, women, our values were aligned about our voices were important and being able to speak up. So again, when someone spoke up, they were supported by other Black women within the program. And when someone came and they told us the story about being a judge and the plaintiff said that, or the defendant said um, that the jury was biased. And then the judge said to bring in whoever selected the jury. And the person was a black person who had selected the jury. So the judge threw the case out, threw the, out the, dismissed whatever the complaint was because the person who picked the jury was black. Um, so it wasn't biased. Myself and the other black women, we just looked at each other like, did this? Okay, yes, okay. Just because the person was black does not mean it was still not a biased jury. But we didn't have to say anything. We just had that silent collective support. So um, my experience was 
really helpful and supportive through that. And um, I'm thinking it was during your time too. I don't know if Michelle, this was happening, but we had the Black Girl Club was a, the counseling psychology. There were the Black women within counseling psychology. We got together and we supported each other throughout the different cohorts. So we would get together for fellowship and eating and going out. Um, that was also a place of support. So I think if it's not if it's not within your cohort or your program, you still have to find your community. So people who are in that same journey as you and can support you through it. But then we do need people in positions of power too who can help us and support us. So even if that person is not in your program or your department, still seeking out those people who their voice is going to be honored and heard and they can advocate for you. I can say we had that, but it was definitely not formal and out there as a club, but just something that we did. Oh yeah. But makes, it was it was out there. I'm good. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. The the one piece, both all the pieces named so far. Find your community. Find your people informally, informally, and then also come to the piece that you added around um, finding people who can be allies you know, and, and supports who are in positions of power, whether that's within the department, outside the department, anybody who just who can understand what your experience is and can help you navigate that and, and support you through that. But I think one other piece that I want to add to it, um, I had somebody recently explain this to me this way. And it just, this was, I remember kind of my experience going into kind of a counseling programs. This person talked about how um, they got to do the behind the scenes look at Disney Initially, you know, um, they went in thinking, oh, my goodness, this is so amazing. This is going to be great. You know, Disney World has this whole magical whatever and just this impression. And then they got to see the behind the scenes and they're like, oh, like this is what it's like, you know, and how difficult and hectic and whatever it is. There's a version of that going into any, I think, um, institution, but especially as a, a black person and a black woman going into you, when you see the underbelly of different systems, there's no perfect system. There just isn't. And so there is a sense of like, there's so much now, especially uh, conversations of um, black women, especially the black, any person of color really lean into counseling. Counseling is great. This is, this is such a beautiful um, healing thing. Um, and then going into a counseling program, you get to see that people in the field aren't perfect either, you know, and we have our issues and we have people who don't do this stuff well and all of that. And so just not to be jaded, um, it's important to have a realistic, realistic understanding of that, but don't let that take your joy. You know, like Kimber said, if you find the right spaces, um, at the institution, you know, be selective of where you go. Um, really do your due diligence to find places that really are going to serve you well. Um, and then once you even end up there, find your people, find your community, find the spaces that can really help you thrive. Um, and you, that's, that's, I'd like to say, I'd like to hope that's possible in most cases, right? I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Um, that was wonderful advice. The, I would also add, this is this might be tricky, but I'm going to say it anyway. Mahala, you mentioned earlier in your own work of finding balance of saying no. 
I would add it to your vocabulary as a graduate student so you don't have to spend five years after you graduate trying to figure out how to say no. Um, because <laughs> there might be things that you will be subtly asked to do or voluntold to do or feels like something you should be doing. Um, and navigate that for yourself in terms of your own capacity, your own interests, a whole bunch of other things. But establishing those boundaries in graduate school, ooh, you'll be a powerhouse once you once you get out on the other side of that degree. Um, so I could truly talk to you all day, but I, we just talked about how time is money. I'm not going to do that to y'all. Uh, but I do have one last question. <laughs> and that me, that is, what does minding my Black business mean to you? I think for me, again, you know, going back to the narrative of how I ended up in, in private practice, I think the biggest thing, what it means to me is um, it's a space where you get to honor yourself. And you get to incorporate your wellness and what brings meaning to your life into the work that you do and giving yourself full permission to do that. Um, and that way you're working on your own agenda rather than kind of the whole list of shoulds and, and established by other people. And again, going back to kind of a big piece of my clinical work, creating a space where you can show up as all of yourself. For me, that means, you know, partner, parent, um, colleague, um, my, you know, as an Ethiopian American woman, the nuances of what that is, um, all of it, all of it. I, I was going to say, uh, first of all, Janae, I, I think you're um, finding, minding your black, your your black business is genius on your part. And so kudos to you for coming up with that. I, I love it. It's just amazing. Um, and, and your, your podcast that, that you've created around that. Um, but I, 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 I do have sort of a, a personal story that came up for me when you asked the question. Um, I, I, my father um, is a pediatrician and he had his own practice um, literally and my, my brother and I and my sisters, we, we used to answer phones and imagine taking your child to the pediatrician's office and an 11 year old open, uh, checks you in and answers the phone. So this is literally what was happening, um, back in the day. But from that experience, um, you know, I got to watch him kind of in that mode. Um, and so I think that was very much ingrained in, in me and my siblings, um, so to have gone on to open my own practice and do my own business, I, it just felt like something that was there all along. Um, so I think part of it for me is, is honoring that, that uh, family tradition, um, but also personally for, for myself, um, you know, just wanting to, uh, we, we were kind of talking informally before we started the the recording about options, right? Just feeling like I, I went to uh, graduate school and, and got the, you know, the um, the terminal degree so that I wouldn't be pigeonholed into one space and that I would have options. And so I think that that's been part of it too, in terms of being a, an entrepreneur and, and a business owner. Um, but I, I think that the 
minding my black business is also rubbing off on, on my children. My, I definitely see my son and my daughter observing and learning and going, hmm, you know, answering questions and asking questions. And I see that same sort of entrepreneurial spirit in them as well. Um, so I guess when you ask the question, I just thought about sort of the, that, uh, that family history. So I, I'd say that those are some other things that it means to me. Wow, that's pretty powerful. It's trickling down. <laughs> yeah, two things come up for me. One is freedom of having the freedom to, to a degree, set my own schedule and um, build a practice that feels personally meaningful and relevant to me. Having that freedom and flexibility of I can go to muffins with moms and I can do these other things that are that bring me um, that also bring me value and bring a sense of peace and balance to my life Uh, so minding my black business means freedom and the second thing it brings to me is excitement still excited about the work that I'm able to do. I'm excited about the multiple things that I'm capable of doing. It's exciting to see myself grow and develop and stretch in ways that I didn't think I could, that I hadn't expected of myself. Um, Just even then to plug that next month, based off of the book, we're doing our first Counseling Black Women Conference and just feeling so excited about taking a book and now bring it into a practical conference that people can uh, attend and use and really crystallize the information that's in that handbook. So there's so much excitement about what's to come and to be able to continue to build. So freedom and excitement would be what it means to me. I love it. Thank you for the plug. I was going to ask you. (laughs) I was going to ask you all. I was about to say y'all. I'm going to say it. I was going to ask y'all to, <laughs> to plug the book. So tell us about the conference. When is it? How do people register? Maybe registrations are closed. I don't know. Maybe I spoke to some. Where did we find the book? Help. Let, let us get it. Everybody's going to get it in a household. So how does this happen? Well, you can find a handbook on counseling African-American women, psychological symptoms, interventions, and case studies. It's available on any uh, book uh, seller site, Amazon, from our publisher, Barnes & Noble. Anywhere you can buy a book, you can purchase the book. It's a book that's designed for anyone who serves Black women in a mental health capacity. So it's for all clinicians. It's not a book for Black women, it's about Black women, but it's for any ethnicity, sex, gender, working with Black women, that we all need to be competent in working with Black women. And the book nicely details what cultural competence means working with Black women, intersectionality. We talk about different issues and symptoms that Black women can be experiencing, how to work with Black women in different theoretical models and formats from individual counseling to inpatient hospital care. And then we also look at some specific populations, which I think is important because we're talking about Black black women's mental health um, oftentimes in a way that has not been talked about. So we're talking about Black women with eating disorders. We're talking about 
um, Black women who are queer or trans. We are discussing Black women who have disability issues, and we don't oftentimes see this just in regular um, texts or in graduate school programs. So there's so many wonderful um, highlights to the book. Again, it is written primarily by Black women who are experts in working with Black women, also identify as Black women and have had therapy themselves. So you're going to get a very empowered view and personal perspective of what it means to be working with Black women. And then as an adjacent to that, our first annual, or biannual, we'll see, conference on counseling Black women. This one is titled Worthiness, Womanness, and Blackness, um, which is going to be focused on empowering the work that we do with Black women. So there's four sessions built on cultural competence, um, as we were talking about today. So I'll be presenting on that. Mahalat and Michelle are going to be talking about that superwoman, that strong Black woman schema that we see a lot of times when Black women are showing up to therapy. And the um, we're also going to have a presentation by Dr. Danielle Simmons, who's going to talk about working with Black, queer, and, and trans women. And then, so that's open for anyone, all participants. And then the final day, Danae, you were talking about that Black healers need help and need healing too. So the last part of the conference is focused specifically for Black women therapists. And there's going to be a healing component, component that's done by Dr. Candace Hargens. And we're going to do a sound bath that's going to be brought to us by Leah Frazier of giving Black women therapists that space to get some of that restoration, rejuvenation, and healing. I love and it. The conference, you can register for that starting next week. And it's all over our social media. So you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Counseling Black Women. And I will have all of those lovely links in the show notes so that you can just click it from your phone, get the book, register for the conference. Register a friend, buy a book for a friend. Um, so we can keep it as the number one bestseller. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you all, Dr. Doctor and Doctor. Thank you, thank you. This has thank been you, a doctor. pleasure. Okay. Yes, thank you, Doctor Taylor. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, family. We appreciate you listening. We need you to do us a favor. We need you to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast. Also, join us in following the movement on our website at mindingmyblackbusiness.com. There you can find our Minding My Black Business merchandise, and you can also find our digital academy. Now, our academy is the place where we are looking to expand our resources, particularly emotional wellness resources for black entrepreneurs. And we already have worksheets there. We have more resources to come. You can follow us on our social media platforms. On Twitter, we are Minding My Black Biz. On Instagram, it's at Dr. Janae Taylor. And on Facebook, it's at Dr. Janae Taylor. So peace and blessings to us all. And when you're out there and they ask you what you're doing, don't forget to tell them, I'm minding my black business.